Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. Hey, this is Olympic gold medalist and TNA superstar Kurt Angle. And you're listening to In the Room, the best talk show that you can hear. Joining us, as always, we have the lovely Kathy Fitz. What's going on, Kathy? Let me turn this music down. I can't hear you. All right, what's that? I'm doing really well. I mean, I'm doing okay. I'm doing kind of crappy. It's the worst, actually. Now I'm only playing. Uh, it, It is what it is, so... Um, I'm excited to, uh, to, like I said, I'm excited to be here tonight, so we'll have a good time. Uh, we also have with us Matt Grimm. What's going on, Matt? How you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm just, I've just been reading over my Vince McMahon mandated uh, changes to the show tonight that he's been sending from his home in Connecticut, and uh, oh. just want to make sure that I'm saying all the right things. Uh, okay, well, we're not allowed to say things. It, it's not, it, it's not clear enough. So. Um, oh shoot. You, now that the, yeah, you he's screaming in my other ear. We right. can't say shoot either. You you can't say shoot either because that's a, you know, kayfabe. kayfabe. Yeah, right, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have Howard Morgan with us. Uh, what, what's going on, Howard? Not much, man. Well, guys, what's going on? You know, I, I too have uh, I have the the podcast in in my right ear and. I have a live feed to Vince McMahon in my left ear, so if we deviate, I will let you know, and and we will correct it through Vince McMahon's say-so. God bless you guys. I guess I'm in the Jerry Lawler role. I just say what I want and then uh, find out later. So, uh, <laughs> God bless you guys. Uh, so, first of all, well, three things tonight. First of all, uh, the number to call in if you guys are interested, 914-338-1885. 
Um, second of all, we, we have a guest coming on at um, about 9.30. Uh, his name is uh, Mozart Fontaine. He's a, he, he, he was a fantastic star of the ECWA uh, a number of years ago and, and uh, just a really good friend to uh, Kathy and myself. And we're really excited to have him on, be able to give us some uh, unique perspective on, you know, the uh, – the late 90s, early 2000s, mid-2000s of Jim Kettner era ECWA, which was a fantastic time with ECWA Super 8 starting up and everything. Uh, so, I, like I said, I'm really excited to talk with Mozart Fontaine. That'll be fun. Uh, the third thing, and this is a little more serious. Um, now, I don't want to conjecture. I don't want to speculate. Um, but I do want to ask you guys to keep uh, Stro Maestro in your thoughts and prayers tonight. Um, it, it's kind of weird because we really haven't talked to him since last Thursday. Some of us have reached out and his phone seems to be off. Um, for those of you who do follow him, he's, he's very, very frequently on social media. You know, like he'll post like sometimes 10, 15, 20 things a day. And he hasn't really posted anything since Thursday. So we're really kind of hoping that everything's okay there. Uh, I'm not assuming the worst. I just uh, just asking everybody to keep him in your thoughts and prayers as he kind of works through whatever's going on. Uh, hopefully he's okay, and hopefully we'll hear from him tonight. Or, you know, hopefully we will uh, at least find out that everything's okay really soon. So, um it sucks. It really does. He's become such a good friend, and, and uh, I almost hate to talk about it on the air a little bit, but at the same time, I am concerned. So if anybody hears anything from him, I'd love to know. Uh, yeah. So that's why I'm kind of having that uh, kind of more of an introspective start to tonight than usual, I guess. But um, like I said, I, I, I'm not assuming the worst, but I am hoping for the best. So, uh, Stro Maestro, if you're listening, we miss you, buddy. Call him when you can. Hopefully everything's okay. Um, so the big news from this week, and it's not Vince McMahon yelling in a headset, believe it or not, although Vince McMahon apparently did kind of pull the trigger on his ejection, CM Punk showing up backstage at Raw. I find this fascinating. Um, as much as I've grown to dislike this guy over the years, I feel like he might be better than anybody else in wrestling at keeping his name out there when he's not actually doing anything. I I, I find this like it, it's so weird and compelling, but it, it's it's cool, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of blown away by it, in all honesty. <laughs> like, think about this: the guy hasn't worked there in almost ten years, shows up out of the blue. <laughs> Talks to Triple H for a couple minutes, patches things up with The Miz, talks to a couple other people. Then Vince McMahon calls and says he has to go, and he leaves. And that's all anybody's talking about is the fact that he would actually show up there. All the things that he said and did, you know, all the things that he said about the company, you know. And even when he was doing the WWE backstage role. There was no involvement with the WWE roster really at all. It was like more of a Fox thing than anything. Um, it's funny, but it's kind of cool at the same time. And like I said, he is so good at getting people to start talking, Howard. Yeah, he he's very good at just when we've almost forgotten about him, 
he seems to make a, a headline somewhere, you know, doing something. And I, I just, it, listen, it takes a lot for you to really walk into the competitor's backyard into their show and you just say, hey, how's so it going? Much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then act like nothing's wrong. Like, hey, guys, what's going right. on? Triple H, how you been? How the kids? How's yeah. the wife? You know, he has just, he uh, has like the social awareness of Dustin. He he must. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. You know, and at a time when like Matt, like his relationship with AEW seems strained at best. Anyway, I mean, I know he's supposedly coming back and everything, but it doesn't seem like everything is all good there. Is this like? I, I, I have a I, thought, I, but I'm really curious what you think. Well, I, on, to an extent, I think he's the Terrell Owens of professional wrestling in the way that he conducts himself <laughs> and the way that he carries right, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, that's a good analogy. Like, he's just, he's so, and I look, look, I don't know the man personally. I don't know what he's really like. I've never had a conversation with him. I've never met him. But the impression that I get from what I see is that he's a guy who's so wrapped up in himself that maybe he doesn't stop maybe he doesn't think about it or he doesn't care about it, but like the chaos that some of his decisions leave in their wake is just something that just just doesn't really seem to register with him on some level. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're another guy in the locker room in AEW, how are you feeling about this? If you're Tony Khan, how are you feeling about this? Oh my God. Um, I mean, it's one thing to sit there and say, like, hey, this will drum up interest for me to come back to AEW in, in June. But, I mean, I, do you want to – is that the kind of attention that you want? Do you really want to drag your weight bench into your into your driveway and lift weights while a, while a news crew in a helicopter <laughs> circles overhead? Like, is, is that really how you want to conduct business? It you want to sit up in the black cup with your shirt off? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Kathy, you Kathy, no, you know Punk. Is this a surprise to you that he would do this? The Punk I knew from before would not do this. Okay. I haven't seen Punk in ages, but the way I hear he's been acting and everything, he's definitely changed. Yeah. Here's now. Here's my take. Um, and, and I don't think it's all cockamamie. That you'll notice almost every single report talks about he wanted to make amends. He wanted to patch things up with people that he's had conflicts with in the past. He went there apologetic. Uh, now this is just me kind of piecing together the story, uh, but he he apparently he 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 did commentary on some MMA event in Florida. Uh, took a flight from Tampa to Chicago where Raw was. And on that flight were a bunch of WWE stars and WWE staff who happened to be heading from their homes in Florida to the event in Chicago. And during the course of conversation, sitting, catching up, mentioned, oh, yeah, like you should stop by. You should, you know, try and try and talk to some people, you know. Um the impression that I get just reading those reports and hearing how, like, his main purpose seemed to be to make amends, 
I think he realizes he's at the end of his damn rope, Matt. I mean, he barely was able to come back to AEW. If it wasn't for the fact that Tony Khan didn't want to miss out on all that money, I don't know that he would be back. Um, it seemed like that entire you know, AEW locker room. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to agree with you there. Like, it, it seems like at least three-quarters of the AEW locker room doesn't want him back. Right. I think he realized, maybe too late, but I think he realized, like, he's at the end here. Like, you know, after that social media stat where he went after Jericho, which was weird because Jericho didn't really go after him um, until then, you know? There really was nothing said until that point publicly. Um, But after that Instagram post or whatever it was, it just seemed like he chased away just about every ally that he had. And regardless of which company he's going back to, I think he realizes, like, almost from a self-preservation perspective, you've got to stop making enemies and start making a couple more friends if you want to stay relevant. He's not that old yet. I mean, he's in his, what, late 30s, early 40s? I, I, he's not that old. He's in, he's, in his, he's in his mid-40s. Okay, so he's about our age. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah I... If he does this thing right, and he hasn't been wrestling a whole lot, so he could do it right, he's probably got another 10 years of wrestling in it. Well, if he did it see, right, my, and if he wanted to do I it. Would, I would counter that with is his tenure in AEW has made him look like he's kind of frail and injuries prone. Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, with the constant injuries and stuff, yeah. Um, I just get the feeling that that's been unlucky. I mean, he's certainly not traveling like he was with WWE. I mean, that, I guess that makes a case for frailty, sure, but um, I just get the impression that if he wants to be able to do this in the long term, he's going to have to stop making so many enemies, and I think he's finally starting to realize that. You'll notice even most of his social media posts aren't nearly as, like, venomous as they used to be, you know? Um I've got, and, and I'm not saying that he's autistic. I, I've got this guy that I know that's autistic that will say, like, the meanest kind of things out of nowhere. Attacks on some random thing that they don't agree with or whatever, and it's always on social media, and it always seems to come out of the blue, and it always seems, like, way too angry. And to me, that's exactly how punk is, you know. Miz makes a joke about this being the best episode ever of Backstage, and Punk's reaction is to what was it? I, I don't I, I don't want to quote him exactly, but basically to to suck a um, money coated bloody dick, something along those lines. Saudi Arabian yeah, like money coated like blood money covered yeah dick yeah like that that to me was like a whole other level of venom a whole so. I think that's part of it, and and it almost seems to me like it would have to be. The way, like, the two people that he went to first in WWE, seemingly the two people that he had the biggest beef with, Triple H and The Miz, you know? He probably would have talked to Vince McMahon if Vince was there. Um, I find it interesting, too, that, that WWE wouldn't allow him to stick around, and I assume it's because of all the kind of press that he'd be getting just by being there. It's almost like free publicity. Like when um, 
Like when China was all messed up and went to WWE headquarters to try and get her job back. You know, like the same kind of... I'm not saying Punk was messed up, but it is kind of like a, a public cry for attention, Howard. I that That's how I took it. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, try, trying to make amends, and I, I think he's burned... A lot of bridges, you know. You have a lot of people, you know. If you if you listen and believe the the reports that are coming out, that you know, really nobody aside from maybe Jericho wants to work with him. And even if Jericho is the only one that works with him, how long do you have? You, you have a year long program if, program if it's done right, you yeah. know. And, and then and then where do you go? Because still, you know, you, I don't think he's going to really ever earn the trust or respect of the, of the locker room that he lost when he went on his tirade and, and, and kind of walked out. You know, I, I yeah. think he's got a long way to go. And like you said, he's only, he's only got 10 years to do it in. So how much can he really accomplish in 10 years with his track record, with being injured, you know, with being now labeled kind of, you know, unreliable, you know, it, it, it kind of reminds me of, Back in the day with, you know, the old Buddy Landell, the guy had great potential. He just, Oh, my God, yeah. You know, he, he's, you know, and you can say, oh, he's a ripoff of the Nature Boy, but but he he played that Buddy Landell he character was the so boy. well. He yeah. was, you know, and he, <laughs> yeah, he, and another one. he just yeah. he just became unreliable. People didn't want to work with him. He wasn't showing up. And then he's gone. So, you know, and this is yeah, his career yeah. cut way, way, way short. I think he could still be literally around, you know, today. But, you know, it, you know, his life took, you know, a, a different turn. But, yeah, it's, Punk's got a long way to go and really a very, very short time to, to get back. I don't think he'll ever get back to where he was. But, you know, he's, he's just got a long way to go. And he's trying to stay in the, in the news. You know, listen, we spent the first 25 minutes talking about CM Punk, and he ain't wrestled in how long? He ain't had a match in how long? Yeah. And here we are, yeah, here we are talking. To, you know, yeah, we're, we, here we are talking. We're almost, almost here. We're, we're almost to the summer again. So, you know, Real, we're still talking about it. Real, realistically, you could count on one hand the number of matches he's had since he left WWE almost 10 years ago. He yeah. hasn't had that many matches. No, you know, it's just been a handful, really. Um, I, I, again, you know, just just so masterful in getting people to like, you know, talk about him. But I, I just, from my end, I I'm still baffled that he came back because he was so angry when he left, and he had so much venom for everybody that it just never even made sense to me. It never made sense to me that he would, um. Return to a wrestling company. It never made sense to me that he would join WWE backstage. Uh, it never made sense to me, honestly, that he would do anything other than, like, sit around and go to Chicago Blackhawks games because that's really all that he seemed to care about for the longest time. I, I, I just – I find the whole thing just perplexing, you know? How could you be that angry at certain people? Go there and apologize because you need attention. To me, that points, Matt, to like there's something, you know, like I mentioned my autistic friend. Like I'm not saying he's autistic, 
But that to me points to like there's something off there. You know, imagine imagine walking into like a public restroom and you walk in and you go into the stall and you close the door and you turn around so that you're facing and you know when you look at it you can see that somebody has like taken like a permanent marker and written like F U on the on, on the inside of the door. Now, most uh-huh. of us would just see that and, like, you know, completely just move on with your day. But imagine being the person who looks at that and is so incensed and takes that so personally that they come out of the bathroom determined to find the person who wrote it and embarrass them and make them pay for it. Yeah. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the way that he comes across sometimes, where he takes things – to uh, to uh, he he takes correcting things that uh, that I guess he interprets as a wrong toward him farther than they need to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, we don't get like, we all ate it up when he did that Colt Cabana interview right after he left WWE. Oh but my now, god! Like, that was like getting you know, your popcorn ready. Yeah, but now it's like we're looking at it like, well. Okay, his history since then has kind of indicated that maybe a big part of the problem is him, and it's not it, it's not as one sided as as things were originally presented back then. Um, like the Hangman Page thing from like that was what like almost a year ago now. Um, yeah, like the thing that Hangman Page said on television was so. I. I it was so under the radar. Like most fans wouldn't have even picked up on it, and it's only because it he angle. made a big deal out of it that anybody that yeah. even became a thing. It only became a thing and because he made a big deal out of it. Four months after it happened, he made a big deal out of it. Why? Like it, he went from May to September, and then in September made the big deal about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I guess he he has maybe he like, the rumor is that he's got kind of sour grapes that he's not viewed in AEW as, like, you know, a, a locker room legend and leader. Like, you know, I, the analogy is, like, he wants to be Dusty Rhodes. It's like, well, dude, you're not Dusty Rhodes, and you don't have to be. No. Like, you, you, the younger guys are not going to have that kind of relationship with you. So, you know, you can either rail against that and alienate all of them completely or – yeah you can find a way to work within that system. Yeah, it's like you you brought up the podcast. And by the way, the, the writing on the bathroom wall, like that's a great analogy for this whole thing. Uh, but you brought up the podcast and how compelling it was. It was like, yeah, it was. Like, you know, it, if my neighbors are outside fighting and making a scene in the backyard, you know, it's not fun but it's compelling. It's interesting. I would watch it, and it's it's kind of the same thing. Like, yeah. you know, you're starting dumpster fires, and then people are like watching them. I I I I find yeah. it that the whole thing is so compelling. But man, can that guy hold a that that guy can hold a he puts Bret Hart to shame with his ability to hold on to grudges. And, I, and to be fair, I would argue that Brett has maybe better reasons to hold grudges than CM Punk does. 
Um, but you're right. Like, Maybe. Even with that <laughs> taken into account. I, uh, that's a whole other conversation. But <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little I mean, biased. So. <laughs> no one in his family was killed either, in fairness to Brett. Well, that's true. So, that's like, true. That's true. Right. Yeah. Like, like even even Brett seemed to be somewhat more willing. Like, you know, I, like I don't know if the right word is forgive or at least just decide you just to start letting go of the anger just because he doesn't want to be miserable his whole life. Um, but man, yeah, like historically, Punk has has held a grudge like like nobody else. <laughs> just ask Colt Cabana. You know, it's it's crazy. Oh my but, uh, god! So we, like, <laughs> and talk yeah. about punching down at this point with him too. What do you mean punching down? Well, it's not like Colt is in the same position of power in the wrestling industry that oh. Punk is. Like at this point, it's yeah. That, it was funny I mean, too. Yeah, it was funny too because like Colt was like. He was, like, a prominent figure in AEW, and then, like, you know, Punk comes along, and all of a sudden, like, he's just gone. And they're going to act like, oh, that's just a coincidence that Colt kind of get phased out. I don't see how it could be a coincidence, you know? Um, that was politics in play right there. I think it almost has to be. If you look at, you know, the way he was on the show, and then suddenly Punk debuts, and he's not. He's just flat out not. Um, but listen... Um, Listen, I, we 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 can definitely talk more about this tonight, and I'm excited to take your calls and and hear what you guys have to say about CM Punk. And the number to call in is nine one four three three eight eighteen eighty five. But before we kind of open up the phone lines and get some more thoughts on the CM Punk fiasco going on, uh, I'm going to bring on a legend from the ECW. I'm so excited to talk to him, and I don't want to keep him waiting. Uh, his name. The Chick Magnet, Mozart Fontaine. Mozart, man, it, it was so great to see you a couple, couple. well, God, it was almost a month ago now at the ECWA Super 8 tournament, but it was just so great to see you, and it just brought back so many memories. How are you doing tonight? Doing good. How are you? <laughs> doing really well. We have, we have Kathy with us as well as my other co-host. Tonight. Oh, like hey, I said, Kathy. We're just... Hey, Mozart, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Kicking back in the so home office. The home office? Nice. The home office, nice. yeah. That's where I do the, do the day job from. <laughs> Me too. Me too. That's great. Um, so we, we saw you at the Super 8 tournament, kind of sitting in front row there, checking it all out. Um, what was it like to be back at an ECWA show after so long? I, you know what, I don't even have words to describe it. Like the whole, you know, the whole thing was so unexpected. I got a call from, from Jim, Jim Katner, told me Ryan would be reaching out to me to talk a little bit about the history of the organization, some, some things that were missing, some things that he just, you know, never had pieces of the puzzle. And he reached out to quite a few people. And when we spoke, I said, you know, I'd love to check out a show at some point. He says, well, funny you say that because we're doing the Super 8. And Jim's coming, and, you know, he started telling me if you guys had already committed to come, and I said, you know what, I'm in. <laughs> so I, it was exciting, really. It, it was just, I mean, surreal and exciting, because that's where I started. 
Well, you um, yeah, you started there, and you were definitely part of a very exciting era for ECWA. It was the era that I kind of knew when I started coming around as well. Um, how would you compare the current ECWA to the stuff that you knew back in the day? Well, I, I love the show, and what I was most excited about is um, just seeing the new talent. A lot of the guys I met for the first time, uh, I did get to reconnect with some old friends, some guys I'd wrestled, people I knew from uh, back in that era. But uh, I think that it compared very well. I saw it as a real family show, which is what we used to do. We could give them everything. We gave them, you know... Uh, technical wrestling, we gave them, you know, the story, we gave them character, we gave them silliness, we gave them seriousness, and I felt like that that's kind of what's, to me, is one of the things I, I miss about wrestling, and, and I thought that they captured that awesome, wonderfully. I love the the tournament, I love the, uh, the additional matches, which uh, were kind of near and dear to me as I, you know, came up with Ooh La La and the Pool Boy, Ooh La La kind of uh, took me under his wing uh, when I debuted, and we teamed together for probably close to a year, if not longer, and the pool okay. and I trained together, so it was, yeah, it was really cool. I, I would say pretty comparable to what I was used to, and I actually talked to, to uh, Ryan Kman about that, how much I felt at home there, it, it, just from the show, the, the, the crowd was very um, fun. They they wanted to talk. They wanted to to say hello. It was cool. No, that's awesome. Uh, and you just mentioned like so many great memories those early years with like Mishirola La and, and Pool Boy. Um, any kind of memories from your early years with ECWA that really jumped out at you? Like a time when you kind of look back and like you know like it's never going to be this good again. Yeah, I actually talk about it, um, and uh, uh, Kathy knows this. I'm really, really close with um, Brian Sosha and Mike Tobin, my partners in the Chick Magnets. Uh, yeah. I look at that time. It was about a four- or five-year run, I think, we we talked about, um, Mike and I, not too long ago. And they became some of my best friends. So I look at that at that time when we Jim created the Chick Magnets, sent us out there to kind of see if we held any water, uh, until our final match together, and that that's my favorite time in wrestling. And that's not to take away from anything else that I've done, because I, I tell you, teaming with Mr. Ulala taught me a lot of things. Uh, he taught me a lot of things, and I was so nervous at that point to be in front of a crowd. And he, you know, I, I would get out there and I would watch him, and all the nervousness would go away because I'd be entertained by him. <laughs> and I, I definitely want to talk mm -hmm. about Mr. Ulala a little bit more because he's somebody that's kind of bridged this entire thing, and he's still going. To, he's still a bucket list guy for a lot of wrestlers coming up today. They they want to get in the ring with Mr. Ulala, and that's not even just the ECWA; it's all over the place. Um, but when Jim Ketner approached you guys and said, "I, you know, I want you to throw on the bow ties, sharp dress, mm -hmm. man," the, the whole bit. And like you mentioned, you would get nervous sometimes or whatever. Um, what was that like to kind of be thrown into a scenario like that with those guys? Well, it, it came together really organically because we had uh, – I had met Mike Tobin on an ECWA show. I actually wrestled him in a uh, three-way match. as uh, Mike mm. and myself and uh, Johnny Max, who was one of my early uh, rivals. And I believe that was our last show – 
at the St. Matthew's Parish Center, which was kind of a special building for a lot of people. That's where um, the okay. great started. That's where a lot of the guys who would, uh, you know, that's where a lot of the fans saw for the first time American Dragon, Low Key, Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles. So all these big names that were going up and coming and moving on to the national scene, that, that was the building that the, the Delaware fans probably saw them in first. So Mike got to be in that building. Um, we, he talked about how amazing that was. So we went on. We moved probably about a month or two later um, to a venue, uh, North Boys and Girls Club. And Kim just kind of witnessed myself and, and Sosha and I had traveled together uh, to some seminars, and we were training together um, uh, as kind of a town exchange with uh, chaotic wrestling. And Kim had witnessed us sitting in the back and, and talking, and he said, you know, they've got chemistry as friends. Let's see what they have as, as wrestlers out there. And he, he needed a an opening match for one of his shows, and he said, I don't want to throw put you out there and present you as kind of a throwaway six-man tag. I want you to look the same. And he sent Sosha out to get bow ties, and he said, don't don't spend a lot of money. The, the, <laughs> the whole premise is to be cheap. Look, look, right. almost look cheap, you know, look, look the opposite of what you're portraying yourself as. You're going to be chick magnets. And the the goal is to have the ladies really despise you. So that's <laughs> that's kind of where, where the, 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 the concept came from. And it, and it really was just kind of like a, um, a test thing, like, hey, is it going to work? And, um, I, you know, and I, I, I don't even remember, and I should, I probably should go back into my video archive or check with uh, – you know, my historian buddy, Mike Tobin, I don't remember who our first opponents were, but I remember it just being really fun, and it, it came off really well. Um, we were dancing in the back. He said to – Jim gave us the – first of all, you know, Brady, Jim gave us the, the creative freedom. He says, I just want you in bow ties. I don't want suspenders, hats, canes. Let's just do bow ties. Let's focus on a bow tie, right? So we, we got yeah. – we had bow ties. We didn't even have matching gear at this point. And I called him, and I always wanted to use Sharp Dressed Man because I I, I loved going to see Jimmy Garvin and the, the um, Fantastics, uh, where it was some of my influences. And we, we just had a chance to run with this six-man tag team. We could we, we, we melted anything and everything we could from uh, the Fabulous Freebirds to uh, the Fabulous Ones to Fantastics towards Jimmy Garvin. And I wanted to use Sharp Dressed Man, and the guys were all about it. So I called Jim, and he said, absolutely, let's do it. And Tobin wanted to dance. If, if you know um, anybody's a uh, rock fan, uh, like Van Halen did in the Bot for Teacher video, and uh, and Tobin <laughs> actually, if you don't know this about him, he can he can actually move. He can dance. I've been to some clubs with him, and he can move. So okay. he's trying to teach us to dance, and we're back there dancing in the back, and we thought we had it figured out. But they introduced us, and we walked out the curtain, and we and Jim says it, he just couldn't stop laughing. He says, you guys went in all different directions. Nobody was in sync, and that just kind of became a part of our, our persona. <laughs> we, couldn't, we couldn't dance to save our, save our life. So that's, that's kind of where that came from. It was, we were just having fun with it. Well, for what it's worth, Kathy would always tell me that you guys were her favorite act. So. <laughs> like, I always had a blast watching you guys. Come on. <laughs> we, it was so no, fun great. because my, I always wanted to be looked at, you know, um, along like the level of some of the names that I mentioned earlier. And I revered those those guys' work and uh, them as people in the dressing room. I looked up to, you know, uh, Christopher Daniels and, and Loki and, uh, you know, uh, Brian. Uh, they were all, 
Brian's much younger than me, but you're still obviously looking looking up to to these guys. And I wanted to be known in that vein, but I couldn't. I wasn't as um, athletic in some ways as they were. They could they could do all this amazing stuff in the ring, and I remember trying to find myself. Who was I in the ring? And I remember one of our, our longtime fans was was watching and said, "You know, you you remind me of Bobby." And I said, get out, because I grew up watching the Midnight Express, really. He said, well, it's a natural ah, thing. It's cool. just the way you move. And yeah. I never forgot that, because at that – and this was very early on, this was even before the chip magnets, and I just ran with that. I said, you know what? I, I know that I can't do some of the things that other guys can do in the ring, but there are things that I can imitate and bring into my own style. Where, And then what the chip magnets did was, believe it or not – kind of put us on a level where we could be talked about almost in the same vein as, as um, those stars that would come through. And and even some of our, you know, our legendary um, local heels, you know, like, a you know, Lance Diamond or, you know, a, Glenn Osborne has some really great runs as a, as a heel with us. So we were, we were starting to be in my – and it was very slow and it happened over a period of years – we started to get looked at like that. Like we had credibility. People outside of ECWA knew who we were. And that, that for me was kind of like, um, you know, almost like a personal goal that I didn't even know that I was out to attain because it, it, you know, as you know, in the independent wrestling scene, it's, it's really not about, you know, how much money am I going to make? It's, it's, it's about either forging your career to become a national act, a national star, um, we're just having a lot of fun. I, 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 over the years, I thought about what is it really about, and I think it's either one of those two things or a combination of those two things. In a nutshell, I mean, you know, obviously, that's not going to solve it for everybody. But for me, I, I knew early on. I was, I, I got into wrestling late. Uh, I was about 26 or 27, and uh, I already had, you know, uh, a mortgage. Uh, I was just starting my. My um, my job working for um, uh, the bank I work for, I work for Chase uh, Credit Card Services. So I was just starting there, and I figured, you know what? For me to even attempt to go national, um, not not again, not that I had what they were looking for at the time, because it was a very the style I was working wasn't what what, what the big time was looking for. But it wasn't an aspiration for me because I I, I had too solid of a um, career in the future at home, I just wanted to be a professional wrestler and I wanted to entertain people. And and, and what the Chick Magnus did was give me an opportunity to be talked about uh, outside of just our little circle. We got national magazine coverage. We had, um, you know, um, just videos were being circulated. And that, that was really cool for me. Yeah, like to me it almost comes back to what you said earlier on like about ECWA being like a complete show, you know, you had like the the technical warriors that could that could go at it and have these amazing matches and you had entertainment and you had comedy and you just had just great storytelling and good just family fun, you know? And the chick magnets definitely fit in with that, you know, just because uh, again, it, it was a little bit of everything, and I, and I think it was a real testament to uh, Jim Kettner's vision. I, I mean, if you think about it, other companies have taken aspects of ECWA over the years, like like Ring of Honor, basically mm-hmm. going to Super 8 
and forming a whole company just based around that competition, you know, or like some of the storytelling aspects on other indies. Um, does it strike you kind of looking back how influential ECWA was, not just the company, the wrestlers that came through, like you said, you threw some names. Um, how does that strike you? It's pretty amazing to be part of that because, um, be you know, and I knew this back in those days. I never lost sight of what Jim created, what he had created before me. I went back and I learned about the uh, the workers and the stars that came through before me. And I, I again, there wasn't a lot of video, there wasn't a lot of things for me to watch, but I'd be kind of revered by the stories. But I was coming up in an era where. Um, Cheetah Master was on top. And Cheetah Master, for anybody who doesn't know, was basically the closest thing to Hulk Hogan outside of a <laughs> national organization that there could be. He just could explode a crowd. He was just unbelievably charismatic. I still I still know Mike to this day. I, I worked at his gym for years. He lives close. It's still charismatic. I mean, he just knew how to grab the people. So he was, to me, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, you know, um, face heroes in, in the the entire independent wrestling scene. So it, it does it wasn't lost on me time what what was being created. But looking back on it, when I think of Cheetah Master or Boogie Woogie Brown, were the two huge um, uh, heroes when I broke in. And I got to wrestle both of them I um, several times actually, and it. To be able to hear other independents and other folks revere those guys who maybe didn't travel around as much or make it outside of, you know, the the tri-state area here, Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania, they're still known because of Jim's vision. And I think that it's and it wasn't lost on me at the time either that it was the oldest independent organization, uh, at least in the states, and. Um, just the history that had been created and uh, the the time of the fact that we we were pretty localized within mostly within northern Delaware. Sometimes spread out shows through the whole state. Um, very few um, sometimes using the banner to work outside in Connecticut and things like that. It, there was a real to me little bit of a territorial feel to it where you had people come in and out. You had your stars that were kind of there that stayed, the guys that would come in, and then you had the people that would come in to kind of make us, you know, um, to put Pool Boy in the ring with Christopher Daniels on many levels, you know, made him on a whole different level. Um, to have myself um, and Lala, you know, wrestling, you know, teenage Briscoe brothers, you know, um, being involved, even just remotely involved with the, the angles in the storyline where they were wrestling the Haas brothers and the Haas brothers were being recruited by WWF, WWE. Just being in that same circle gave us local stars. You know, I, I don't want to use the term stars. Us, the, the local wrestlers star appeal to the crowd. And, you know, you don't realize that until... And this is a true story until you go to the grocery store. Yeah. Go to the grocery store, and I, I had really long hair at the time. I know you, you, you guys remember that. And these kids <laughs> yeah. were following me around the grocery store, and I'm just like, okay, they, they probably know who I am. 
and they just started giving me the warmth over. I, 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 they were just yelling and screaming about how, what a terrible person I was, and they were laughing. But they were having a good time. They were laughing and running, right. and they were run back down the aisle again. And I kind of realized at that point, like what what we meant to to the community. And it was also this was also in conjunction in doing a lot of community work where we did special Olympics appearances. We would go to birthday parties. We um, would sign autographs ad nauseum after shows and never uh one of Jim's mantras was always um let's keep the people happy um we're going to meet them in the lobby we're going to sign autographs we don't charge them for for autographs you know I don't I don't know that there was ever a wrestler that wrestled on Jim's show that charged for an autograph um they there were photo sessions with national stars where they would charge for Polaroid at the time or whatever but Mm-hmm. It, we just had this serve the community type of um, atmosphere. We were so entrenched in the local community. It was, you know, I was going to the local radio station doing, watching um, Cheetah Master and Boogie Woogie Brown, you know, do promotional material. And, you know, I, I broke in watching um, Jim and uh, Ken Bennett, who was also at the um, ECWA as a, as a guest, edit the TV show. Um, half-hour TV show that he would oh, take wild. and use as a promotion. Yeah, interesting about the TV show because Jim and I just talked about that right before the Super Eight was. Uh, I remember him telling me years ago the concept was great, but essentially we were a live show. So what we ended up doing was giving away the live show for free on the local TV, and it started to impact ticket sales a bit. So. I learned a lot about the business aspect from Jim, too, and never knew what I was learning until you look back years later. Oh, that's awesome, though. Um, one of the listeners wants to know uh, your opinion on the impact of, like, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which didn't go to a lot of indie shows firsthand, but they, they would come to ECWA quite frequently. They definitely covered you guys a whole lot. Um, what, what were your thoughts on Pro Wrestling Illustrated and other, like, wrestling magazines? Uh, really kind of emphasizing ECWA. I I loved it because I grew up going to the local pharmacy grabbing um, all the after magazines, um, the wrestling mm-hmm. for Wrestling Illustrated, Inside Wrestling. I still have a bunch of them. So I think, you know, we're in a different age now in, in the, you know, social media and uh, digital media have made things easier. But when you take away something, that the people can hold in their hand. I, I think that you can't overstate how important the magazine coverage was because, you know, I, I you know I became very good friends with Brandy and, and Joe and uh, Dan Murphy and uh, you know a bunch of folks like you said who would just show up at the show when they didn't go to a lot of other independent events. They would be doing pictures. They'd uh, send us questions to be, you know, we, I, I never forget, I still had the magazine, and I think all, all the sick magazines do, where, you know, we had a centerfold uh, cover in a national magazine. The, my students, the guys that I trained, the kids that come up today, you know, we try to revere and with stories about that, but some, some some folks love it, and some folks look at it as like we're dinosaurs. But I think the short answer is that you can't ever, ever overestimate the impact of, of the magazine coverage that we got. Um, because somebody in, you know, another state, you know, and this was tape trading era days. This was the end of VHS. DVDs were coming around. So you still had tape and DVD trade. You had 
the um, magazine trade, you know, at, at um, auctions and things. Um, I do miss that. I miss it a lot because I, I like to go down. You know, what would be the coolest thing for me is I'd be walking through a store with my kids and see a magazine with either somebody I know or myself in a little, you know, cover um, or on the cover or be able to flip through and say, hey, here's my name in the rankings. It's it's very important to <laughs> yeah. the fan base to be able to see that. The fan base now sees that in a digital form, you know. But to be able to hold that magazine, there, there'll never be anything like that again. I think it's an error that can't really be replicated. I think that we should move forward, you know, the product move forward. I love where, you know, ECWA is going uh, currently. I love where a lot of um, independents are going currently. But there's things that I just miss and wish that they – would kind of come back into vogue if, if for nothing. I'm kind of like vinyl records. You know, everybody wants a vinyl record now. Um, and the sound quality is better, right? So you can buy phonographs right. now to right. play uh, vinyl records that sound 100 times better than when they were coming out in the 60s and 70s or 50s, 60s, 70s. They're still not digital quality, I don't think, but it's just that you're holding it. It's yours. It's, it's something that you can yeah. hang on a wall. Yeah. You know, it, it's almost a memento. It's kind of like... Um, Getting a uh, uh, a program from from the uh, an event, a sporting event, a wrestling event, a concert. So yeah, it's, uh, sorry for my long-winded answer, but the magazines. No, it was great. Never, never yeah. can I, never can I, be um, show my gratitude enough to those folks or overestimate what they did for all of independent wrestling, but particularly ECWA. It's funny because um, when I met JJ, the crew guy. I mm-hmm. right away knew him as the guy from the Pro Wrestling Illustrated T-shirt ad. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. he was on the back cover almost every issue. I was like, you know, he but was. it was just really cool. I, yeah, yeah, it is really cool. Uh, Kathy, you had a question for. Oh, hold on, I accidentally muted you there. Uh, Kathy has a question. As soon as she, there we go. I just want to ask um, Mozart, Brian Sosha. One of my favorite tech magnets. <clears throat> Ever tell you a story about Ric Flair? No, he didn't. Well, maybe he did, but let it refresh my memory because I don't. I just don't, this doesn't click in anything with me. Okay. He, he, he told the story on this show, didn't he? I think he did. Yeah. Yeah, we were all yeah. at this show at the bar, <laughs> and Flair and I were sitting there talking, and he and Brian and a couple of his buddies were there, and Brian looks over, and. He, Flair goes, oh, did you guys read my book? And I said, yeah, I have. He goes, well, Helen, you've been there for most of it. He looks at Brian. He goes, and Brian says, oh, I'm reading it now. So Flair turned around and said, who's driving? He goes, Brian goes, I am. He goes, all right. All his sodas are on my tab. Give the other guys two drinks. (laughs) I don't think he ever told me that. I thought Brian was going to have a massive coronary. He was so excited. I bet he was. Oh, my God. I can only imagine. The original excitement about anything is like, you know, he's always excited about life, but I can't imagine because we, you know, we grew up, we revered Ric Flair. I just, you know, I I, I don't think I missed a match of his in Philadelphia for, you know, between, you know, the late – Mid '80s to the late '80s. I mean, anytime any of the you know the Mid Atlantic guys, the Crockett guys were on the, the you know coming to town, I was there. 
but yeah, I know, I know Sosh and I talked about him many times. I didn't, he never told me that. And if he did, I forgot. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. I was so excited that, you know, Claire was sitting there talking to him and then he, <laughs> he brought up another story when we were at the um, Icon <clears throat> that ECWA was doing something and uh, Mick Foley, he was interviewing Mick Foley at Westchester or something. And I remember me and one of the guys walked in, trying to be very inconspicuous. And all of a sudden, Foley yells, yo, bitch, what's up? And I just said, can, can I hide, please? And <laughs> like, oh, I was like, whatever. And Kathy Fitz is like a standard ovation. I'm like, oh, my God, please just get me out of here, Nick. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, my goodness. What? what? We were talking about Brian Sosha there, and we've had him on this show. Just a fantastic guy, as you know, Mozart. Um, but his life, his career has taken so many different twists and turns. A lot of people, I think, more people probably know him from the radio at this point than from wrestling, being a, a DJ with the Sosha Network on all these different mm-hmm. uh, radio stations. Uh, what are your thoughts on Brian and the way he's just kind of reinvented himself so many times over the years? I, you know, I, I, I've called him many, many times as he is, has with me, and you know, we called each other for advice. We called each other to share good news, bad news. I couldn't be more excited. I'm so proud of him, and I always knew he would do something big. I didn't know what, you know, um, but I knew that he would do something big in entertainment because that was, it's kind of what he was born to do. He just entertains people. He's one of the most creative minds I've ever met. Um, I tell you, you know, a, a quick story. We actually put it on social media a while back when he was working our local radio station. He worked with my current fiance, and I had met her at, at another thing wrestling brought me um, in about 2005 or so. She would bring her son to the wrestling shows with an old friend of ours who um, knew Jim. And oh, okay. I saw her in the crowd. I, I saw her in the crowd, and, it, it, you know, it, it, and, and, and Fitz will laugh at this because we, we really did. We sat in the crowd, and we would look at the women, and, and, and we always had this thing, well, hey, you know, if there's a beautiful woman in the crowd, she's probably one of the guys. We should probably ask whose wife, girlfriend, sister that is, you know, before we, we talked to them. And I remember seeing her in the crowd, and I tagged Sochi, and I was like, whoa, who's that in the second row with Dave? You know, Dave's an old friend of ours and knew Jim for years. He used to rent Jim's ring for boxing. So he got her to come to the shows, and I see her out in the crowd. And so she says, I don't know, but we'll go meet her afterwards. And we did. So we became friends, and this was about 15, 20 years ago. So fast forward, you know, I I, I was, you know, coming out of, um, you know, my – yeah, my, my first marriage, and you know, my kids were only three, four years old, and you know, I was devastated. And so, just, you got to get back on your feet, man. You got to get back, brother. Come on, you know, uh, you know, it was it, really, really instrumental in, in at that point in my life. And he says, "Hey, you know what? You should talk to Cher." And I said, "Oh my God, I should. I, I would love to see her. I'd love to talk to her again." He goes, "No, no, no, no. You don't. You should ask her out." And I went, "What?" You know, all of a sudden we're like ten years old, you know, and passing notes type of deal. So. <laughs> He actually orchestrated with me the proposal on his show. That's that's where I was going with this. It was oh amazing. wow! His his right oh, hand. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So one of his right hand men, a uh, good friend of mine now named Jason, he 
is just a creative mastermind too. And he and Sosha would always kind of bounce things off each other at the radio station. And they came up with this plot. Uh, and they, they said, well, now we'll come on to the show. Well, I don't know. We'll have some type of debate. Um, and it just so happened that it was right around the time that um, the, the last Star Wars um, sequel was coming out. And I, I love Star Wars, and she's a, she's a Trekkie. I am too, but I, for the sake of just, you know, arguing, I always tell her Star Trek, Star Wars is better. So Sosha says, well, I don't know what we're going to talk about when you get here. We'll, we'll come up with something. I said, oh, I know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> you, you, you have to bring her on and tell her that you're trying to uh, settle a debate What's better, Star Trek or Star Wars? I'll come in, <laughs> unbeknownst to her. We'll have a little argument. I'll get into the proposal. So we did. We put this all together. That That's yeah. what wrestling has done for me, has brought my personal life in wrestling. You know, on one hand, there's there, there's not this big separation between it because it's crossed over so much. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, it, that's that's what Brian, you know, that's what he means to me. That's That's – you know, how close we are and watching him kind of develop into, um, you know, from a radio job to a, uh, you know, a fight, um, a commentator has just been, you know, amazing because he, you know, he's got this great voice. He's got this great delivery. He's just, you know, but he's still that everyday guy that people can relate to. And I think that that's what's special about him. It's, um, it's funny Listening to your your story about the proposal, and it was like the recurring <laughs> theme that keeps coming back to me with ECWA is family. Um, yeah, I have never been part of a locker room in ECWA. Well, that, that's probably a lie. There's probably a couple years there, but for the most part, it really felt like family, especially under Jim Ketner, Ketner, uh, definitely under Ryan as well. Um, is that something that was like kind of a, a conscious decision by ECWA management, or was it more organic than that? You know, was it just something that um, everybody just kind of had shared common goals and interests, and it just just really clicked like that? Because I always perceived ECWA as a family. I I agree a hundred percent. My my personal feeling is, and um, I, I think that I'm right about this, is that. Um, I think, first of all, that Jim Kettner is one of the greatest people I've ever met. He's one of the smartest, one of the most uh, well-versed at reading people, which was one of his great successes was, number one, he never wrote a show for himself. He wrote it for his fans, and he knew what the fan base wanted. But he knew how to connect people like he connected the Chick Magnets, like he connected uh, Billy Bax and Rob Beckos, the Valedictorians, like he connected uh, – Lance Diamond versus Cheetah Master, uh, you know, like he yeah. connected him um, with 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 Rocco, the you know the master. There was always he, I think, it, Jim's greatest legacy will be connecting people, and I feel like he did that on purpose. That nothing was ever done by chance. I think he gambled on 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 relationships. Like, hey, I think this will work, but I think that. Most of the time he won, you know, when he placed those those bets he won. And I think that it was all by design that he built a locker room that he would want to be part of, that he loved watching, that he loved producing. Um, and that was a big thing for him is, you know, when we talked over the years, he loved to produce the shows. He loved to write for the talent. Um, 
So the first thing that he always told me he'd do is when he had an idea, he'd call the talent, and you know, he and I would talk four or five nights a week. Um, and he'd bounce things off me for other folks. Hey, what do you think this one would think of about this? And I'm like, I like it, you know. Um, or I'd say, you know, it sounds cool to me, but what if some that might be better for somebody else? So he had a knack for doing that. And he would call other folks and do that too. He he never was shy about asking for opinions. And when he put us all together, when he built any locker room, whether it was the one I was part of, the the the, the, the locker rooms before mine. I think his ultimate goal was to connect people. He told me once, and and I I, I have to take him in his word. He told me once that he fired the entire dressing room in the early '80s and re, re just rebuilt it. And it was all local local folks. Some you know some folks. When I say local, it was I I don't mean national folks. Where he's flying people in, you know mm-hmm. maybe they came from Virginia or they came from Pennsylvania or something Maryland, but he. He, if it wasn't right, he fixed it, you know. Um, and I know a lot of times over the years, um, there were there was just this huge waiting list at that time to be part of his show. And a lot of times, it, it, you know, I said to him a few times, like, you know, hey, how come so and so, you know, never use him? He said, you know, I just never had the chance. They were always on my radar, you know. But I can only manage, you know, sixteen, eighteen, maybe twenty guys at the most on a roster. You know, because we weren't running shows that were three and four or five hours. We were two and a half hours in and out, which was another thing that the people loved, you know? Yeah. Um, maybe two hours and 45. But we, we never really stretched shows too long because the kids would get antsy, and a big part of the crowd were the kids. Um, but I think, you know, to your point, he definitely, by design, especially in, in the later years um, of his his ownership and his, his mentorship to, to us in the, in the locker room was – Let's build it. Let's build a family, you know, because you've got to be able to go out there. Number one, trust guys in the ring. You've got to trust them with your persona, your character. You've got to trust them with um, doing the right thing for the story. Um, uh, you know, one of the, for example, one of the things I, I learned from Jim is we, we never. It, we, he kind of moved his show away from the older mentality of the opening act is you know, the curtain jerk or the guy nobody cares about. It became more of a spectacle kind of a direction where, say, a Raw was going at the time where every match on the card was important and it was placed because it's for a specific reason. So we we never came up in the dressing room knowing terms like that or we never said, hey, I'm in the main event. Um, you hear guys walking around and say, hey, I'm closing the show tonight. Almost, you know, like like a musical act and it's like, you know, now you'll see, you know, uh, two big acts tour together and they switch off closing and opening the show for each other. That's almost how he built the show 20 years ahead of its time where, where that's going on now within the entertainment industry, you know. Um, and, you know, we definitely follow trends. We, we At times we had to be cover cognizant of what TV was doing as that drives the the business a lot, but sometimes he would just take if, – if if wrestling was going one direction, he would go in a different direction. And, again, it was all based on building that trust, building the family. The, the, the family was also the fan base too, um, believe it or not. These were all returned fans for years, for 10, 15, 20 years, never missed a show or missed one or two shows a year. It, 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 we ran uh, 10. Uh, our season were 10, 10 shows a year. 
uh, with a couple mm-hmm. special shows here and there. We never were in July. We usually, I believe it was July. We, we, July or August. Then we took off August. Um, and we come back for September. We didn't run in December. He didn't believe in running in December because he didn't want to put the folks in a bind for ticket money or, you know, holiday expenses. So business, you know, again, business, why would you put yourself in that position? People might have came, but we probably wouldn't have had as heavy of a crowd. And, you know, a lot of these people were like family, so he knew they were going to come back in January and buy a ticket again. Then he got them for another season, you know. He ran it like a a well-oiled machine. It was, you know, he referred to things as seasons and uh, closing the show and, you know, um, closing the first half, opening the second half. We we were never made to feel like the opening match was any less important than any other match on the show and or the second match or the third or whatever it was. Um, yeah. It, it always made – because, again, you know, a lot of local talent, we were being mixed in with guys that we knew – were going somewhere, whose intention was to go somewhere, who were definitely being scouted and being looked at. So it, it was done, I think, by design to make us feel more comfortable. So we got experience working with these folks who were a lot better than we were. Um, and we learned a lot of things about, like, so, I, so for example, like, I didn't travel the country, per se. Um, I didn't, not per se. I, I, I've only ever wrestled on the East Coast. Um and uh, I've done Florida. I've done um, never done Maryland actually because because you have to be licensed. I've never been licensed to wrestle. Um, never had to be. So you know, not not doing anything. So you know, I've done um, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, um, Delaware, uh, Florida. So I've only done a handful of states. But I feel like the legacy of what we did just spread us up and down the East Coast. You know. Um, and being, you know, making friends from the West Coast and the Midwest and the South, it kind of carried our, our our local legacy further than we could have ever done, um, maybe even if we had wrestled there ourselves, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. And I, I, I love how you put it about, like, it, just everybody contributing and it not really mattering where you were on the show. Um, another thing that was always really special to me about ECWA is it was like a month-to-month story where, like, you didn't want to miss a show because it was always continuing a story. So, like, you might be the first match on this show, but the next match you might be the main event. You really – but the point is, like, there's a continuing kind of flow to everything. You know, each month would flow to the next month. And a lot of independents weren't doing that back in the day, but you guys certainly were. I no, I couldn't agree more, and I think that that's a testament to Jim because he he knew what he was doing. He used to tell me, "Do you know how I know what I'm doing?" And I was like, "I I don't know. How do you know? How do you know what's right?" When Tony goes, "Because I've I failed before. I learned from my mistakes. If I failed, I swear I've changed it. I fixed it. And it took me a lot of years to get to this fine oiled machine where I'm writing the shows and." And he'd say, for example, like, I've got this show written, and it doesn't really pop to me, but I'm not going to change it because I think that the people will enjoy it. And then there are ones that he wrote on, put down on paper and thought were going to be great, and they may have missed a little bit with the crowd. Um, so those are, you know, things that I watched over the years and, and learned from him and, you know, from everything from timing matches to placement to – um, you know, 
uh, one of the other one thing that he did too is he was really cognizant and um, excuse me, really fair about heating up and cooling off characters. And it was also done for storyline purposes because, for example, you couldn't keep the chick magnets hot for two or three years straight. The people would just get burned out on us, you know. So what he would do is he would run an angle, run stories from show to show around us. Then he would cool us off, and we'd be kind of just like, um, you know, like, not, I don't want to say filler, but we'd just kind of be on the card as, as entertainment. Um mm-hmm. Just kind of tucked in between the major storylines, and then he would heat up the valedictorians, then he would cool them off, then he would heat up uh, the heavyweights, um, which was uh, Sean Royal, Danny Echo's great tag team. Yeah. Um, he took turns heating up the talent, whether it was the tag division or the, the singles division. Um, he always went into the season with a vision. What, what's my end goal, you know? I, I, not necessarily what, what he was going to do exactly from show to show, um, but he he did like to tie a story in. You know, he liked to start something. He liked to end something. He liked to um, arc something into the next show. So you, you could come as a standalone show and have a great time. You could be, like you said, somebody who couldn't miss a show because you had to be there for everything, um, which worked really well. We we drew a lot of a lot of folks. And that's the other thing. We – Jim was profitable for a lot of years, you know. Um, I don't think he would ever claim, hey, hey, I got rich, but he was always profitable. We were never a show that was ever bleeding money, that was ever, you know, looking for sponsors to stay open. And, and, and I know that these are all creative ways to run, and sometimes you have to, but we were a show that was built on a solid crowd of right around 200 to 250 every, every um, um, month. Bigger shows, we drew more. Some we drew less. Um, but the because we were heated up and cooled down in strategic ways, I, you know, me, for mm-hmm. example, I was able to turn over um, the people who come and see me every month. So, And that was another thing that he taught me early on. Hey, your friends are going to get tired of seeing you, so you have to turn over the crowd. Uh, each time I work at you know at a bank, so each time I go to a new team, they say, "Oh, hey, you wrestle." So you introduce a couple more people to the show. Some people would come, then they would drop off, then you would. Uh, so it made it easy to maintain you know five five to ten people every show. So you know if every local guy is you know bringing five to ten people, yeah, you know maybe a quarter of your crowd's already built in, you know maybe more. So those are the type of things that I would. You know, when I trained wrestlers, I'd you know wrestle for JJ and write post pro for a, for a, you know a long time. And it, you know, JJ was a student of, of Jim, and we would always teach the students. You know, outside of your friends, once they've seen you, what are you going to do to kind of turn it over again? And you know, since we're a local show, and, and I would say the easiest thing to do is become a draw. You know, don't be worried about being a star. That 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 all comes with with success of, of the character of the promotion. Be a draw. Be somebody that people want to see, other than your friends. Because you know, if, if they come and they see you and you know you're terrible, they're going to come two or three times to see you. They're, they'll they'll be loyal. Then they're going to drop off. You know, if you're great, and the rest of the show is terrible it's probably going to be the same thing. It's kind of going to equal each other out. So we, 
you know, Jim always taught us to look at things holistically. To again, like a right tie it right back into the family. It, so many things that I learned about wrestling that I can't even articulate. I, it, if I had the time, I, I would love to try to put it all down on papers, on memoir, or a book. But I can never articulate. Yeah. I can never. I can never mimic what Jim's brain knows. There will always be. I feel like he's like a national treasure. Like there's. There, there's nothing he doesn't know, and not because I'm being unrealistic when I say that or being, you know, like, oh, my God, I, I, I'm i just saying that because it's, you know, the great contender. Jim knows how I feel about him. We have a wonderful relationship. He's a great friend. But if he doesn't know it, particularly when it comes to wrestling, he'll learn it. He'll adjust his mindset. He'll change. He'll think about, you know um, – he, he taught me how to train wrestlers. You know, I, I brought him down. I, I had two guys I was training, and I taught him every move I knew. I taught him moves I didn't know but knew the mechanics to, and they could perform them like nobody's business. But you put them together for a match, and it was falling apart. And he said, you showed him all the moves, but you didn't show him how to work. You didn't show him how to wrestle. You taught him, you know, the fundamentals. It's important that they know that, but you, you, didn't, you didn't completely teach these folks. So then I had to revamp my whole thinking. And even to the, up until, you know, the last time that I, I, I had a group of people with me, I'd still call Jim and be like, hey, I'm having trouble with this. So-and-so's having a little trouble with this. What do I do? That, that's what I mean by his mind for wrestling. That, In my opinion, I'll never be a greater mind. And, and I think that that was the legacy and the success of ECWA. And I, I know talking to Ryan, I know this. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met. Um he definitely loves to write a wrestling show. I feel like if there's somebody to move the legacy forward, he's the right guy. And that, that's why I was so excited to be part of the show and just come to watch. Very cool, yeah. Now, I definitely see a lot of similarities between them. Uh, Mozart, you were talking about um, the mentorship of Jim Kettner. And, and I want to bring it full circle to Mr. Ulala because um, this mm-hmm. guy – uh, there's something special about him for sure to be that kind of that long and that enduring and, and really that endearing with the fans. Um, what is it about Mr. Ulala that makes him so special and, and kind of not a knock on his age, but makes him kind of timeless? I think that that's it because his character is timeless. This, the portrayal of Mr. Ulala, it's nobody else could pull it off. Um, it's tailor-made for him, and he understands the value of entertainment. One of the things that he taught me over the years, and um, I, I just I actually talked about it with Jim maybe about a year or so ago, is that I used to be so offended by being a comedy guy. You're a comedy guy. And I'm like, you know what? Everybody, my belief is everybody's a persona. Everybody from the most, you know, Baddest, most toughest, you know, guy, and they may be really legitimately tough, and maybe there's somebody that's a real shooter, or a real wrestler, but that's still a persona when it comes to entertaining the crowd, and that's where Mr. Uwala excels. He his his goal first and foremost is not what move am I going to do, um, you know, what what am I going to, um, you know, what what arsenal am I going to show off tonight? It's how do I entertain the people? And for him, it's tried and true, and it's timeless. It's it just, to me, the, one of the things that makes him so special is that 
he has a natural timing and a, and a natural comedic timing. So he's a natural timing in terms of his athletic performance, but he's also got a natural comedic timing. So nothing that he does is out of place. He doesn't have to rehearse it. He doesn't have to, um, um, you know, make it phony. Everything about him is real when it comes to the perform the portrayal of Mr. Ulala. I told you he used to make you know I, I, he used to make me um, I'm not nervous. So many times I I I know I just laughed at him out there because he he would come and he would try to vault over the top rope and you know. He would catch himself in the top rope and roll all around and get all hung up in the ropes and he'd get up and, he, and his arms and his knees would be all skinned up and he'd walk over to him and be like, ah, that really hurt. And I'm like, you think? You know? So he, he would get more beat up on the entrance than he would in the match, you know? Yeah. And that was, he didn't, he'd skin his shins up walking up the steps. He could never make it up the steps. He'd slip and trip and skin his shins up. And I'm like, oh my God. I was like, he, he's, he's taking a beating for the art, you know? Um, but timing, yeah, it, it, it was his timing, his his love of, of people, too. He's just a people person, you know. Even even as a, a heel, um, you you dislike him in the context of, of what he was doing. But after the mm-hmm. show, that's who all the kids wanted to go meet is Mr. Ulala, you know. And like you said, a lot of the wrestlers that had never met him or – only heard of him or maybe just met him and never wrestled him. He's a bucket list guy because I think they just want to be entertained too. They want to be in a match that's entertaining. Um, They they want to do something different than what they do. If you're a guy who's built on technical prowess, well, you know what? Mr. Lala is technically as sound as they come, but you wouldn't know it because it's not his persona to show that. But if he's wrestling somebody where he needs to do that, he can and they, they know that. So they know they're getting in a ring with a guy who's absolutely 100% capable. And they just want to be entertained, too, I think. That's fantastic. Uh, Howard, you had a question for Mozart. Yeah, yeah it's it's more of a, a, a fantasy booking um, type of thing. Just kind of set the stage for you. Let's rewind the clock. I know you brought up Bobby Eaton earlier. Um, love Bobby and probably one of my top five all-time favorites. Um, I grew up watching Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. But let's just take us back. It's 1986 on a Saturday night and Ooh. the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. And you are tagging with the Bobby Eaton. Who are is your dream tag team that you would want to um, perform with that night? And and what, what would what would you think your finish would be? Oh wow! I, I, I'm just stuck on teaming up Bobby Eaton. That would be like a dream come true for me. <laughs> I, I would have to say because I I think one of the greatest feuds ever was the Midnight's and the Rock and Roll Express. So I'd love that match to be the Rock and Roll Express. And I think the finish would have to be a version of. Bobby's top rope leg drop, maybe, maybe a, uh, and of course we we'd end up taking the uh, taking the loss. But I'll tell you, I'll fantasy book it now. Uh, I'll uh, I'll isolate the great Ricky Morton. Now I'll, I'll drop him. He's not he's not legal. I don't know this at this point. You know, Roberts made the tag. <laughs> Referee's seen it. <laughs> I'll drop him drop him in a knee drop and uh, you know backbreaker style and. Uh, 
hold him on my knee. His body comes off the top rope with the leg drop. He takes his head off, and uh, Bobby goes for the cover, but there's no referee won't count. You know, why, why, why won't the referee count, you know? And uh, <laughs> I always love the uh, the victory roll, so I, I, I can envision Robin, Robert jumping up on my shoulders and just rolling me up on it in, in, in a victory roll, and, uh, you know, they're out. We're out to, to complain, and they have the crowd. That I, I grew up watching those guys, and um, I I don't think that you can ever rival some of those tag matches. I mean, I I studied them. I I, I stole things from those matches. I put them in the chip <laughs> magnet matches. I put them in the other tag matches. But why? That that to me, oh man, that's. Geez, Howard, thanks for that question. Now, now, now I'll be up all night <laughs> thinking about it. I'll be looking at the up. Like, hey, listen, can you? Do you think you could just take the leg drop once for me? You know. <laughs> no, I. I I'm sorry, Soja. You know, Soja's a. Go ahead. Go ahead I'm sorry. No, no, I, I, oh, I was going to say Soja's about an hour away. Yeah, I, I love the rock and roll express, and for most of my life, I had a a deep, deep hatred for Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express, you know, uh, mainly because of who the Midnight Express were and obviously who the mouthpiece in Jim Cornette was. And I think any time those five guys got together and whatever they were doing, you knew you were in for a great match. And whether it went five minutes or, or an hour, you were going to be entertained the entire time. I agree. I It's, they they made magic, and you know one of the things that they did that um, I've read about, and I, I've never met any of them. I've met Jim Cornette personally, but it, I, I've never gotten to talk philosophy with him. But there was a lot of working off the fly. And what I mean is, is I, I don't necessarily know that they didn't talk spots and and things like that. They may have, but they worked off the fly in terms of how the the crowd reacted. So I once saw an interview where. Jim Cornette said, you know, I I never had anything, you know, other than a couple of bullet points to go out and, and, and cut a promo and sell a match. He would just get sent out to, he said, Dusty would say, okay, you're a rich mama's boy and, uh, you know, uh, Bubba's coming in to uh, protect you. Uh, go sell me some tickets, you know. And, and that's a lot of the freedom that once Jim got a trust with us, that's a lot of what he did with us was, was bullet points. You know, I, I, I can remember getting – uh, you know the the notes for the matches coming up for the show, and it'd be like three sentences or two sentences, and I'd be like looking at the email, like, well, "Where's the rest of my email at?" You know, because all he needed to do was say what he wanted um, for finish, not specifically, you know, um, to say, "Hey, you know, I need you guys to, um, uh, you know, take the win. I need you guys to take the loss. You know, it's up to you. You know how you do it." Never said, you know, unless, and I don't remember this, unless there was a specific reason for a certain guy to have to take a pinfall or to get the pin, you know, sometimes the story dictates that. But I think that's that's where the magic of that era that we grew up watching was there was a lot of feel involved. Now, I definitely understand why things are done the way that they're done today. You've got multi-billion dollar TV deals. You've got uh, partners involved. You've got um, – you know, merchandising. So, you know, it's different to be a heel today because you have to be slick. You have to be polished. You've got to be somewhat popular because you've got to sell T-shirts still, you know, 
Um, I don't think there was such thing as heels selling T-shirts until the Horsemen became popular, and the, and I bought one of those shirts, you know. But you know, I don't think that in those days we it was it was based around the ticket sales and the um, the atmosphere that they were creating. It's really hard to do that today, and some of the guys are really good and can still do that, you know, at the highest levels. But it, it's as a product now. I think that. And again, like I understand why we have to do it. And this is this is one of the hardest things to explain to my students was, you know, they we're we're wrestling a small show, much like the territory days, but we're not, you know, we're we're single single show. Um I still think, you know, Jim probably ran what as close to the territories as, as they used to be, uh, before he retired. But um and the reason I say that is because of the way he moved uh, town in and out and we didn't necessarily travel, um to different towns like 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 the territorial promotions did, but we still had a base of uh, where we would where we would we would perform. But uh, you know, I think that looking back in the, in those days when when you could be a little loose and a little more free, um, and I well, what I was gonna say is when I was when I was getting students, they would always want to do uh, you know they always want to be a heel. But they'd always want to do the coolest moves in the world, and I'd look at them and say, "Why? This this crowd? Do you do you want? Don't you want your face to be, you know, the shine? Don't you want him to be the hero? Well, no, I want to be. Well, then you have to be the face then. That's how it works. Well, no, I saw so and so on TV, and I no no no. Let me explain to you why that's done. And you know, you have to explain logistically why you know they're selling T-shirts, and you know you have major. Um, uh, network executives saying, "Hey, this guy's great. We need him on TV." You know, it's a little different. You know, but when they go to house shows, most of the time they still play up their heel persona. They still they they don't necessarily do all the cool crazy moves. They're saying for TV or saying for pay per view or whatever. Um, and the kids will look at you like like they got it. And some of them did, and other ones, like, okay, well, cool. I'm still going to do every cool move that I know. And it's like, yeah, but then you're not the heel because just because you scowl, you know, I'm not going to cheat. Why would I cheat? You know, like your point. But, you know, the minute I you knew Jim Cornette was cheating. You knew he was getting involved. You knew they were going to pull some shenanigans. Um, that, that I think, has been lost a little bit on the independent scene um, since I started because I, I – I never wanted to win a match clean when I was working as a heel. I felt like it would tarnish what I was, what my character was, what we'd work to do. It it was always there, – there would always have to be some cheap way of winning. Um, and, you know, Brady, back to your point of, of how we, we were a family show. Most of the mm-hmm. time, most of the time on our show, the good guy prevailed. The good guy prevailed. Give the people what they want. I, I, I hate watching a TV show now, and I'll be all wrapped up in the characters in the show, and they swerve me for the sake of swerving me. I'm like, that's stupid. I would just give me what I wanted. I wanted to see the good guy win, you know? And then when you when you watch other shows that are written really well, you see you give them – like, like I just watched um, – I, I told you, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a closet Trekkie. I, I've, I've since, you know um, – uh, admitted this to my my fiance after the great um, proposal incident when our Star <laughs> Wars prevailed and I proposed. Yeah. But I just watched the Picard series and I'm thinking through the whole thing like just give me what I want, please don't, please I don't want to do any spoilers, but please don't do things that are going to upset me, 
don't do, you know, because it was really written well. And the way that they finished everything left the crowd happy, you know. Okay. And that's what Jim always did, left the crowd happy, you know. Well, when you talk about well, leaving the happy. crowd happy, that that's awesome. Um, kind of looking back on the last 25 years then, uh, anything you would have done differently? Not a thing. I don't think I would have done no. anything differently. Except, you know, with injuries, obviously. We, we, we did some, some stupid things in the ring and, you know, got got injured. Not not me. It was usually Sosha, you know. As you said, try to talk him off the ledge. Oh, I'm going to do this. No, no, please don't because you're going to get hurt. Um, you know, it's not worth it, you know. Um, but, no, I don't think I would have changed anything. I love um, – and, and I know that that's – I've always thought about that, like, you know, just in life in general. Like, what would you change? Mm -hmm. And I say I change nothing because I'm a big believer in energy and um, destiny. Uh, Not destiny in the fact that, okay, Brady, you were born, and this is what's going to happen today and tomorrow. and Not like that, but if you change one thing in your life, think about what that could branch out and change, you know, like – if I had changed one thing, maybe I didn't meet Cher on a show. You know, maybe I didn't get to be Brian and, and Mike's tag partner. Maybe I never got to be with Mr. Ulala, you know. Um, there are guys that I wish that I had wrestled that I never had a chance to wrestle, but that, that list is – that's probably 100 people, you know. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But to, to change the things that that I – that I did, no, I wouldn't change anything because it, it it brought us to this conversation. It brought us right where we are. And as I get older, I kind of realize that that's kind of what life's about. It's like right where you are, you know, like you're, you're where you're supposed to be all the time. And changing something would, um, especially, you know, in, in, and I know it's easy to say because I'm, you know, I'm, Knock on wood, I'm healthy. You know, I have a nice house. I've, I've got a good job. I've got friends. I've got you guys. I've got wrestling. Um, even though I don't, you know, I'm not quite active right at this minute. You know, I feel like I could at any moment, you know. Um, when, you, when you're, it's easy to say, but I also think when you're down and out and there, you know, there's hard times or, you know, maybe you still have to be, this is right where you're supposed to be, but then you make a, the choice to get where you're supposed to be next. And so on and so on, but that's and that's what I think is, is wrestling is. It's just the kind of like art imitating life. It's like a story. It just kind of keeps going, you know. If you want it to, you know. Like we we always joke with each other, me, Sosha, and Tobin about the the Logan brothers. Um, you know, Matt and uh, Brian and their their brother Nick, and of course their uh, mm-hmm. Chase Del Chase Del Monte is a close family friend. We had a wonderful feud with those guys, and it was almost like to me. I always looked at it like the Midnight's in the Rock and Roll or Dusty and Flair, where you could kind of always come back around to it. We finished that few two or three times in a five-year period, you know. Um, and it was kind of like they were our perennial rivals. Um, they had other great rivalries. We had other great rivalries, but it kind of always came back to, to us and them. I put my hair on the line against those guys and lost the loser, uh, hair versus loser. It was loser leave town versus my hair. And I think the more I thought about that 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 final match in ECWA with the chick magnets, I don't think yeah. anybody in the building that night expected me to get my hair cut. I think they probably thought that 
Well, the Logan brothers are just going to take a break. They'll go back to Massachusetts for a few months. Oh, they'll be back at some point. But um, I have made a decision outside of wrestling to get my hair cut. And uh, COVID beat me up and almost, you know, almost beat me up physically. Like, you got to do it in the ring. You got to do it in the ring. And I called Jim, and it just so happened. And he was looking for um, looking for a hook for that show. He just had it written. He looked at it a few times, just something that didn't, you know, wasn't quite right for him. And when I called him and told him I wanted to do that, he got all excited. And we put it together probably in a course of an, an hour or two that night, just made a couple phone calls and got everybody on board. And, uh, you know, it, it was kind of a cool experience because that put us in the finale. And we had probably done – we had done just about every spot on the show and some important spots. You know, we had done cage matches with the, the, the Logan brothers. We had done six man matches where we culminated with us versus the three real brothers. And then we had done offshoots of the feud with Chase. But I think that was the first time that we did finish the show. That was the finale. And that night there was no way it couldn't be, you know, just all the emotion that was riding around at the, the, four or five years of history between the two teams. And it, it was like we were all wrapped up in the story, not not in an unrealistic way, but we were wrapped up in telling the story. Um, and everybody was just as committed to it, from Jim to the to the, all the performers. Um, the, the locker room was, like, looking forward to it. It was really crazy. It was, it was surreal to think back sometimes the, the – scenarios that I was involved in, whether it were my own matches or watching, like, incredible things unfold. You know, I can remember watching, you know, Jerry Lynn win the Super 8, and I, you know, you guys know, I think, that Jim was always top secret about the Super 8. The only thing you'd know is who was in it, you know? And then he didn't even know Brad yeah. until the night of the show. And the night I, that, I remember that he used to paper the, the windows and take the pictures. Yeah. Yep. And nobody was allowed yep, in. Exactly. Yep. No, yeah. it was it was insane. And he would have the meeting, and you know, it was like it was like old school, like you know, mafia meets like you know, all the NWA <laughs> promoters or something. It was like go into a room, like you said, the doors get shut, the plans get laid out, nobody knows but the people in the room. <laughs> and, and and in all the years that I, I I wrestled for Jim, I wrestled for Jim for over ten. Um, we've been friends for, we figured, now close to 30. But I wrestled actively on his show for about 11 years. And I never once knew anything. I didn't even know one of my closest friends, when Tobin was, was a, a, a part of the Super 8, I didn't even know he was in it. Jim swore the secrecy, and he stuck to it. I don't know of any situation where anybody ever leaked anything. And, and that was a testament to their respect for Jim. Wow. Super cool stuff. Very cool stuff. Very cool. Lots of great memories, man. I, you know, and we're almost up against the break, and we're almost done for the night. But we're gonna have to do oh, part man. two at some point. I, I hope that's okay. I'm in. I penciled you in for board. about thirty minutes, and we're at an hour ten easy. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're no fine. Apologize. This is amazing. No apologies whatsoever. <laughs> this has been a. It just you know you you never know how long these things are going to go and I didn't want to rush it because mm -hmm. uh, it was really great hearing some of these stories and the perspective 
uh, that you brought from that time period that I remember so fondly. So, I, Mozart, I, I believe me, no apologies whatsoever. We have to do this again <laughs> real soon. <laughs> I loved all the guys that I wrestled with, and I, I, I you know, I never – I always want to try to tell a story from my perspective, but not make it about me. And I, I hope that I right. articulate that because all the guys that were part of it were so important. You know, the Sean Royals, the uh, Danny Eckers, ba- Billy Bax, you know, a good friend of mine. Like uh, that whole entire roster, you know, uh, Mike Reed um, was integral in a lot of ways to a lot of things. You know, um, Michael Blake. Um, I could go on and name guys all day, and if I missed anybody, I, uh, you know, it's, you know, I'd be you know, it, it, and I apologize, but I everybody was such an important part of my growing up in 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 the wrestling business. You know, um, being able to reconnect with Roughhouse Rivera and Simon Diamond, who was my very first trainer, and, and Glenn. I thank you guys for just giving me the opportunity to talk wrestling because I, I've kind of been removed from it for a couple of years, and yeah, going yeah. back to to do the CWA and sitting in a crowd and watching the show, you know, kind of made me be a fan again because sometimes it's hard for me to have a lot of time to watch it on TV. Um, it's like a pick and choose, a match here, a match there, so I don't get a lot of time to really watch it or keep up. I read a lot. I, I go on YouTube in the middle of the night and watch the old Bobby Eaton, which <laughs> is the truth, you know. Um, but I... I yeah, this has been great. I, I can't thank you all enough for inviting me on and and this opportunity. This is cool. No, very cool. And, and like I said, we'll definitely have to do it again. Uh, before you leave, can I ask a huge favor of you? Um, Absolutely. I, I, I want Cool. I, I wanted to get you to record um, like a bumper that we would play on the beginning of the show. So basically just yes. tell people who you are and remind them that they're listening to In the Room. And then uh, – yeah, thank you so much again. Hey. This oh, was that amazing. would be cool. Yeah, we can record. Um, Let's do it. Yeah, please. So I used um, to be a one. You know, whenever guy. you're Hopefully ready. We only need one take. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's all you're gonna need. You know, you're a pro. I'm like me. I'm like Mushmouth. But uh, now you'll be. No, great. I got this. <laughs> you let me know when the when when to start. Wait, whenever you're ready. Cool. And I just want to let you all know that this is the legendary kick magnet Mozart Fontaine of ECWA fame, Lake Coast Pro fame. And let me remind you that you are listening to In the Room. Don't miss it. I love that. Thank you. Uh, part two, we're going to delve into Right Coast and some of the other stuff you're doing as well. But, cool. Uh, thank you I so much for the time. Yeah, Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Let's talk again soon. Thank you all so much. We will. We will. Thank you, Mozart. Take care. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Cap. I'll see you. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. That was the legendary Mozart Fontaine. Uh, I apologize to the people that are on hold uh, waiting in the queue. We'll get to you guys in short order. Actually, it looks like um, right now the phone lines are pretty open, actually. I'm just looking at it now. Um, there were a couple of you, and uh, there seems to only be uh, – one right now. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a real quick commercial break. Then on the other side, we'll hit the phones. We'll uh, wrap it up with some more CM Punk, and uh, we'll get out of here for the evening. Uh, 914-338-1885. It's in the room on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. Be right back. Hey, this is Total Package. Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out.
Hey guys, before we get started, I just wanted to read this commercial because it's an agreement that we made with a really great podcast, and I want to tell you guys all about it. Pro Wrestling Interviews, it features guests who are hot indie stars as well as the greats of the ring. Each week, you can join the amazing Velvet as well as Dr. John as they host this jam-packed hour of interviews, pro wrestling news, and entertaining guests. It's an hour you don't want to miss. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Every Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern, just go to ProWrestlingInterviews.com, and it'll take you to their Facebook page where you can get the custom podcast link for that week. Don't miss a second of Pro Wrestling Interviews. That's Sunday nights, 9 Eastern, ProWrestlingInterviews.com. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In The Room. Every Tuesday night at 9, listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests. Like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stein of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts, and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts will include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hick, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Paul Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Nick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, Tony here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the <clears throat> World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think, uh, I don't know what to say, but I, well, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was an early champion. Yeah. Here are exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. Bill Asher, and once again, we're speaking here with 
Tino San Martino. Tino, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiant? Well, actually, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did have anything to do? Well, yes, but the whole thing is this, if you rules, as I always understood them, was that the title could only be lost by tenor or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. We're on easy and it feels so sweet. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's In the Room on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. VOCNation.com, Brady Hicks here, uh, Howard Morgan as well, and uh, we're getting towards the end of the show, which is amazing to think. Uh, thank you to Mozart Fontaine for that amazing interview, and uh, yeah, just if you guys missed it, definitely go back and listen to it if you're listening live. Um, otherwise, it's one of those names I think, Howard, like it's not going to pull people in, but I think if they sit down and listen to it, I think they'd be thoroughly in, just entertained by it. You know, I, I, in my own ignorance, you know, I, I saw him at the show. I recognized the name from the show, but if I yeah. wasn't there a month ago, I'd be like, "Who's this guy? They're bringing on." Like, I don't. I, but then you listen <laughs> to him, right? And man, the guy goes back, you know, a quarter century in the business, you know, yep. and yep. was really there, kind of between the transition between. Where kind of you know I grew up and he grew up watching it to kind of where we are now and he's a great bridge between the two. I I couldn't agree more and I knew he'd be good and that's why I absolutely had to have him and uh, we will bring him back for a second one that's for sure. Um, let's go to the callers real quick. I, I have two here. I want to try and get them on. We just have a couple minutes left here. If we go a little over, it's okay. We've been granted extra time by our provider. Uh, let's go to area code 561. I'm not sure who this is, but I feel like it's somebody we might have talked to in the past. What's going on? You're on in the room. Well, it might be somebody you might have talked to, but guess what, brother? You get two chick magnets in one show. I just want to say. Oh, brother, brother. How you doing? This is this is Mike Tobin calling from Florida, and I want to tell you guys what a great interview that was with my brother, Mozart Fontaine. It was amazing to listen to. Again, the greatest tag team partner anybody could ever have. And to hear him telling the stories, he spoke for all of us. I just want to say great, great job, guys. I'm, I'm, wow. You know, I enjoyed every minute of it, you know? And Mike, hi, Mike I wish I knew you, you were. I, <laughs> he is amazing. And, and you are as well. You guys were just so much fun back in the day. So many great I wish I had known you were on the line. I would have put you on with him. I apologize about that. <laughs> no, brother, don't worry about it. It's all good. We'll all come back together one yeah. of these days. And I'm down here in Florida now, so I just want to say it was a great, great interview. He said 
everything you could say, man. Working for Jim in the ECWA was the best experience in the world. And we'll come back together and tell some more great, crazy stories because there's a whole bunch of them. So, uh, you know, I just want to jump on, brother, and say great job, guys. Well, thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate that. Uh, we, we should uh, we should try and set one up ourselves. So I think we'd have some fun uh, with it. Absolutely. And, you know, what he was saying about the PWI, right now in my garage that I just set up recently, I'm looking at the 12 questions. <laughs> I'm looking at the 500s. All those memories, man, mean the world. They're just like he said. So I would love to come on sometime. And uh, Mozart's the best, bro. All the best. Uh, I love it. I love it. All the best to you. Thank you so much. And, and I'll reach out to you, Mike. We'll, we'll set something up. All right, up. brothers. Take care, Please. guys. Have a great night. Take care. Later. Be safe. Take care. Bye. Wow, how about that? His former tag team partner calling <laughs> in. And he waited well, the whole know, show it, just about. He was online almost know, the I, whole show. Yeah, I think if he if they would have been on together, we'd have probably been doing this till tomorrow morning. <laughs> Maybe I have to get all three of them. Brian, so, you, are, are you familiar with Brian Sosha? A little bit, yes, a little bit. Yeah, because he was the radio host. He did WXTU. He was on like I think like Q102. Uh, he was mm-hmm. on a bunch of stations over the years, you know. And uh, yeah, he's uh, man between the three of them. That that's something. It, it's funny to think the way their careers kind of went in three different directions like that. Uh, Mozart will get a kick out of the fact that he was listening the whole time. And I I feel bad. I would have put them on together. But like you said, we'd be on until 1 in the morning. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, 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 speaking of being on until 1 in the morning, I have a treat for you. Where else can you go but from Mozart Fontaine to Mike Tobin to Rat Boy? What's going on, Rat Boy? Oh, you're back. He's back. All right, <laughs> I'm back in Jersey. Feels like you never left. Feels like I New know. Jersey was smelling extra pungent today. I, I did notice. Oh really? I got I got well, back extra sun, sun, I got back Sunday night. Put it that way. So how uh, was the trip? Was was my, it every... uh, it, the trip was beautiful. Good. It yeah. was so nice. Okay. So my cousin, she took me to uh, Bucky's. You know, it's a big uh, gas station on uh, 95 somewhere. Shop that oh, I thought you the said F-y. Like the F word. No, no. It's What's Bucky's. it called? Bucky's. What's, say that again. Bucky's. <laughs> Bucky's. Bucky's. Thank you. Bucky's. Bucky's. <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm going to well, give everybody a little history lesson. Okay. okay. Yeah. You, next time, then you guys go down Florida. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You, you have to stop at Silver Springs, Florida's National Park. <laughs> oh, Bucky's. Okay, I got you. Bucky's. Silver Springs National yeah. Park. Okay. okay. They, they got a, they got a, uh, a glass boat there that you could ride and you could see. The bottom of the of the lake. So you can see the scum. Okay, there, there's uh, caves down there. You can see the fish. You can see the turtle. But you know what movies have been done in that lake? Okay. One of them was no, Smoking I don't know. the Bandit. All right. One of them mm. was Smoking the Bandit, part three. Okay. Luckily, you didn't say uh, Deliverance. <laughs> 
and what and uh, <laughs> they done the boat fish in that lake. The biggest okay. one is that that the lake is most famous for is the creature from the Black Magoon. Okay, it was done right there in that lake. All three movies. Wow, and they could have they could have done a remake with you there. Yeah. Yeah. And I just seen uh, they got alligators in that lake. At least I've okay. seen that. They even got uh-huh. monkeys hanging in trees up there, man. Oh, I was going to say, what are they, like sea me. monkeys? No, they're like regular monkeys. monkeys. They're okay. regular monkeys. Regular monkeys. Yeah. yeah. But I'll tell you, it was, it was a great trip. You know, we got we got into Virginia. And uh, my cousin's son came out with a small birthday cake for me. Uh, okay. You know, How was your birthday? Mostly on the road on Friday. Yeah. Yeah, you guys got back later than I thought. No, what happened was, yeah, what, what happened was that. He got caught at Bucky's. Well, from Virginia, <laughs> we left him, went down, we went down to uh, South Jersey, down to Mason Engine, helped my mom and dad out, you know, go open up their trailer and all. And yeah. the rainstorm came through. We decided to stay and to make a home till till Sunday. Okay. So it was a beautiful trip. It was a beautiful trip, you know. But I didn't see no wrestlers or nothing like that, you know. But I saw a limo with horns on it. I don't know if that was JBL's limo or not. It was all white with horns uh, on it. Maybe. Or, or maybe. I just figured you. I just figured you just got caught up at Bucky's. Like, I, if I found a Bucky's, I would never leave. Oh, man. Dr. Pace, you got to check out, man. You would love that place. Sounds great. I want to go without my wife, yeah. I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, no. You take your wife. You or would she like it, too? too? Would she like it, too, Bucky's? Yeah, okay. she would love it. All right. There's one All thing. Right. There's a gas station with a whole bunch of stores inside. You can get anything in there. You can even get a... Uh, Anything. Get anything. Yeah. Cool pork What's sandwiches, it called again? man. They're awesome. <laughs> What's it called again? Bucky's. Uh, okay. <laughs> they got yeah, everything you said it sounds yeah. dirty, Howard. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> oh, come on now. <laughs> it, it almost sounds like a place you don't want to take your wife to. <laughs> right. It's a place where you yeah, don't want the pulled good. pork. Yeah. Yeah. But the whole trip was wonderful. Good. And I'll be going back down. I'll be going back down Yes. You look like a little, kid. And, yes. yes, like a little kid in a candy store, running around Disney. Yep. Yep. And and seeing Hulk That's Hogan me. and yeah, you just had the greatest. Ah, that's awesome. Well, I did, I did talk to Hulk Hogan, okay, backstage, you know, at his place. I know. He said next time when he comes up here. And I asked him, can I get an interview with you? But uh, the only one place I'm going to do that is right here in the room with Brady Hicks. One-on-one with me and him. I love it. You know, Hulk Hogan did do this show once many, many years ago. Well, not this show, Howard. Uh, But he did the VOC Nation when it was a radio show on its own when I was the co-host. Hulk Hogan. Oh, awesome. That's where that famous... When he fought Sting. Yeah, I always say, you know, 
lot of people, like Kathy, she was at WrestleMania 3, right? She got to see Hulk Hogan body slam Andre the Giant in front of 93,000 people. I always get to say that I got to see Hulk Hogan body slam Sting in front of 93 people at a TNA show. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, um, we were all there. That's right. For glory. Yep. Down that's for glory. I, that's when I, I had that's one arm there. That that was when Hulk Hogan said, "Not a match, brother. It's going to be a fight." That quote yeah. came from this very uh, this very uh, program. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, and plus, uh, plus we all were sitting right there, and uh, we had uh, Rob Van Dam and Orton in a box seat. They asked us to yep. come in there and party with them. Remember that? Fantastic. Fant- yeah, I know. I remember. That was, that was I remember huh? it all. We we all went to Bucky's. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> no, Four I came in the morning. There's a, there was a Bucky's on Delaware Avenue. We all went. It was great. Yeah, it's not it's not the same Bucky's. <laughs> oh, oh. No, I, mean, okay. I came right yeah, home because because I only have one arm left. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I remember. I remember. Yeah, you broke broke your yeah. shoulder. Yep. Yep. Uh, that was the same time around the same time. When I shot oh, my collarbone. Buggy's is big. I didn't know it was that big. I just saw a picture. Oh, yeah, it's huge. Buggy. Yeah. It looks like a Walmart. No, almost. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's, it's bigger like than a Walmart. Walmart. Oh. I'm but definitely guess what, my wife to Buggy's. Guess what? Yeah. They were so alcohol in that place. That's great. Why are you showing alcohol on, on a turnpike and they always saying, don't drink and drive? Ratboy, before I let you go, uh, what do you think about CM Punk being backstage at Raw? Was he backstage? Oh, man. You didn't hear that? Yeah, he was backstage. He was there, and then uh, he met with Triple H. He he talked to a couple guys and girls, and then Vince McMahon called and said, kick him out, and he left. Oh. Darn it, man, man, you never know. Go read Sam the story. It's be... out there. Well, it is that. I can see it. If he comes in and, and, uh, in that league, you know, WWE, you know who's going to get the belt right off the bat. Come on. Sam Punk. He's going to get the new title. We didn't even talk yep, about the, the new, new title tonight, Howard. <laughs> no, we didn't have time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping Roman wins nice that title. and then they introduce a fourth one. But it's crazy. After Triple H announced it, everybody keep on eyeing up that belt. Come on, guys. Yep. Keep on eyeing up. It's not going to be yours. It's going to be somebody fresh and new like CM Punk's going to get it, okay? <laughs> fresh and new like CM Punk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It, that boy don't it, ever it is rookie year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but, but look at it. You know, awesome. CM Punk, he got all those other people to wrestle, you know? Cody Rhodes. Yeah. Randy Orton. I, you know? Listen, I, I like the new title. It, it it looks like it's a throwback to the old world title, but with the new spin on it with the logo. Yeah. I, I think it looks yes. cool. I actually like it better it, than the colored titles that they, that they had the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it is a good-looking title. Yeah. I was kind of hoping. I was hold on. I was kind of hoping 
that they that that maybe on SmackDown even Triple H comes out again and he introduces a new version of the Winged Eagle title for Roman to carry, and then there are your two <laughs> titles. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, but that, but like there's one thing though. It's not what? a John Cena belt. It's going to spin around. You got it? That's yeah, I'm cool. better with it's that. Going, I'm good with spin. that. Yeah, I'm it's okay. I'm good with spin. that. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. I blocked that out. Right, boy? Well, they, they, we got to get out of here, spin it. All right, and I will talk to everybody next week right here in the room with Brady Hicks. I'm out of here. Good night, everybody. I know. And I love you, Brady. I'm renaming the sh- I'm renaming the show. It's now called Bucky's. It's going to be Bucky's with Brady. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's, that's See you, homie. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> you know, we went from okay. the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool, though. I Listen, I really like – I'm a huge fan of, like, like when they introduce titles um, – Especially titles that are much needed. I'm a huge fan. Uh, I thought that was really cool, and I like the fact that it does harken back to another era. Um, yeah, I, I, I like it. I do. I, I hope that they come up with a cool singular design for Roman with his uh, championship. Yeah, you know, I, I, so I think they need to get it back. Two. Yeah, they need to get it back under two belts and keep it that way. Keep the brand split and you know, kind of treat them as two separate entities almost, you know, have have the occasional crossover. But, you know, again, I think less is more, you know, what, you know, once in a while, maybe two pay-per-views a year, you know, even like a, a, a war games style kind of match where, you know, it's the red versus the blue and, yeah, you know, maybe have two of those type of matches a year to bring the roster together. But other than that, keep them separate, keep them, you know, their own shows, their own champions. And, you know, I, I think it'll be a much better product. And, you know, we'll see how much, you know, creative control Triple H really has kind of moving forward. Yeah, yeah, we certainly will. Because, um, you know, I hear complete control, and then I hear Vince McMahon is uh, changing things on the fly again. So I guess yeah. we'll see. Uh, I, I think we can probably give up on the idea of Triple H writing a show and not having to push it through a million channels. I just hope that as time goes on, his influence continues to grow over the product, you know. And if we do that, I think it'll be great. So, I again, I like most of the changes that he's made. So I'm on board, and I, and I think it's been good. And as far as CM Punk goes, get that bastard out of here. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but you know, I, yeah. I have a feeling we'll be talking about him next week and for the next – few weeks to come until this is all sorted out on what his role is going to be and the one or two guys that he's going to work with for a year, and then hopefully he'll be gone again. Before we go, what can you count on even more? Is it WWE unifying and separating titles? Or is it unifying and creating new titles? Or is it CM Punk making headlines for stupid things that shouldn't even be news? Wow. I, I I think I'm going to go with B on that one because <laughs> I think yeah, okay. he's going to continue to make waves and say stupid because he's he is who he is and until he proves me wrong, you know that's that's where I'm going to go. I, I 
I think he 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 needs to stay in the headlines for whatever reasons he has. He thinks he needs to stay, you know, in, in the headlines every couple of weeks. And you know, hey, don't forget me. Here I am. You know, and you know, when most of us would be like, hey, listen, let's, we forgot about you, man. We've moved on. It's been nice knowing you. Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at, pretty much. Uh, Howard, before we go, anything you want to plug? No, just you know, any you know, any prayer requests. I know you know, Stroh's been you know feeling down a little bit lately. You know, let's hope that he's you know, you know, back and you know, and, and doing better. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, definitely. Thoughts and prayers go out to you, Stroh. I know you're probably listening. Uh, hopefully we can uh, talk to you soon. Hopefully everything's okay. And uh, please feel free if there's anything I can do, please let me know. Um, yeah. So, uh, well. Yeah, this has been. I mean, thank I, you guys. I've been involved. Yeah, I think this has been probably the best show that I've been a part of since I've been a part of it. Really? Wow. Better than the one where I ran it for an hour about Vince McMahon. <laughs> well, that, 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 it's like one <laughs> one in one a. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I got you. Uh, no, it, it's been great. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Howard, for everything that you do. Um, and by the way, for those who don't know, Howard's going to start joining us full time. He'll be on for the nine and ten o'clock hour for for uh, from from now on because uh, he's done such a great job helping us out, and it's great to have him part of the family. So thank you, Howard, for everything that you do. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Of course, yeah. Uh, thank you to the best casting crew I could ever ask for. Thank you to the callers. Thank you to Mozart Fontaine. Thank you to Mike Tobin for hanging on the line all that time just to put over the interview. I appreciate that. And uh, we'll get Mike on as well, and we will get Mozart Fontaine back. Uh, for my end, ECWA, May 20th, uh, ECWA High State. That's going to be once again at the Jersey Dugout, Marble, New Jersey. Mr. Will Lala challenging for the ECWA title against Travis Lee. The Sam Shields farewell match against Clutch Rockwell and Super 8 winner Joe Yates. And lots more. Be sure to check it out. It will be streaming, if you can't make it, it will be streaming on the Premier Streaming Network once again. And, uh, of course, tickets and information, ECWAWrestling.com. So thank you guys so much. Everybody take care. Be good to each other. Love you all very much. Take care.